0: We are in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 10. Luke 9, verse 1, the Bible says, Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all devils, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. Whatsoever house you enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, And of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for time together in your word with your church. We pray that... By your Holy Spirit's power, and through the preaching of your word, that we, your church, would be conformed further to the image of Christ. Sanctify us, make us holy. Build us up in the word, Father. This is our prayer. We pray that they'll also be convicted and have faith into salvation. And we pray that we would go and be doers of the word that we are hearing here this morning and not just hoarders of it. We ask for your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Learning is a thing that comes from doing. Certainly it comes from, from reading and educating yourselves, but in the end you actually have to go and do. You can make this analogy with a chef. A chef doesn't become a great chef simply by reading recipe books. I mean, you don't go eat the food of a guy that people will claim he's read more recipe books than any other chef on the face of the earth. No, you, re- you eat the food of a guy that people say he makes really good food, or a gal. Whoever one you want it to be there, got to be politically correct. The athletes, they, you, you don't make the big leagues professional athletes by reading the X's and O's. You actually have to go and play the game. So here we find the apostles being sent out to go and do. They've read the recipe books. They've seen the X's and O's. And now Jesus is saying to them, go and do. They've traveled with him. They've watched him do the things that he's telling them to go do. They've been instructed by Jesus in doctrinal things, and now he and he sends them out on what we'll call a short-term mission trip here. They're going to go out. They're going to do some things, and they're going to come back briefly, and they're to go and do themselves. Now, that alone can be a sermon. What we've been instructed by Jesus and what we are to go and do based off what we've been instructed by Jesus. But we also read a different thing here in the second verse about Jesus giving them power and authority to do this, what he is sending them out to go do. So I want to preach to you today about being doers while having our focus on the power and the authority given for this. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we opened up the book of Corinthians in our study there in chapter one, right off the bat. He talked about our calling to be saints, our calling to holiness, our calling to usefulness in God's kingdom. But he doesn't leave it there. He says God has enabled us to be saints. We could not do it on our own. He must hold us fast. We have that same idea here as we see Jesus giving them the power and the authority and then telling them what to go and do with that power and authority. So let's begin looking at their mission and then we'll move over looking at their method and in the end consider the ministry that they accomplished while on this mission with the methods that they were given there. So let's read together in verses 1 and 2 as we consider their mission. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So their their mission was to go and preach the kingdom of God, according to verse 2, and to heal the sick. Jesus had taught them already what to go and preach. We've studied through Luke's gospel. We have enough information at this point just through the eight chapters we've already completed as we enter into chapter nine. We know what Jesus has already taught them. They would go and call people to repentance. He had taught them and they would go and teach others to love their enemies. He would teach them to build their lives upon the rock. They could go and teach about the soils, the sower, the seed, the soils. And and as the apostles go and they complete this ministry, this mission trip Jesus has given to them. They could talk about this parable of the soils and explain it to others. They were to preach God's kingdom. Now, we in our age in the church would say, go and preach the gospel. There's not quite a gospel yet, but there is some good news that the kingdom has come. There's still not yet the death, the burial and the resurrection, but there is the first advent of jesus christ the promised messiah savior emmanuel god with us so they were to go and preach god's kingdom and then they were to heal the sick and likely based off of the end of verse number one maybe even cast out demons we don't read about that in this particular account and i want you to remember that we have four gospels and we often have these stories going across three of them sometimes a fourth one as well but in this particular instance here It just says he gave them power over all the devils and to cure diseases, and then he sent them out to preach and to heal. So I'm going to make the implication there that part of that healing would be to cast out demons, but nevertheless, they were to heal the sick. Now, their healing for sure was to show the love and the care of God. It's a very loving thing, and it's a very caring thing, but that wasn't the only reason they were sent out to heal. Because he didn't say, go out and everywhere you go, every town you go to, heal all their sick and then come back to me. He says, preach the kingdom and heal their sick. So there's a twofold purpose here. This healing would bring supernatural confirmation to the kingdom message they were preaching. Because otherwise, why would you listen to this guy who washed out of being a fisherman and now is following this not all the way rabbi around. I mean, think about it in their day and age. Peter considered Jesus a rabbi, but did the Jewish leaders consider him a rabbi? Some did, some didn't, but he didn't kind of hold to their, their norms of the day. He was that odd guy, you know? And, and Peter, his brothers, some of these other guys, Matthew, the tax collector, why are you going to listen to these guys preach this message? Why are you going to give them the time of day? Why are you going to listen, much less do what it is that they're telling you to do? Well, Jesus gives them the authority to go preach the message, but he also gives them power in regards to that and being able to heal their sick and cast out demons. Well, that changes things a little bit. Jesus gives these guys a message to go and preach, and it's a good message. Love your enemies. Build your life upon the rock. But to confirm the hearing of this message and the usefulness of this message, he gives them the power and the authority to heal the sick and says, now, now go and preach the message of the kingdom, but also heal their sick. So the healing showed their care and love of God, but it also showed the supernatural confirmation of this kingdom message. Now, I don't know that they would have healed everybody. In our response reading this morning, as we, we've gotten behind our, the sermons with the responsive reading, we usually get ahead of that. But we saw there in that particular instance as Jesus, we get a list of the names of his apostles there, and then we see that he healed all of their sick in that regard. Well, we don't know that they would heal everybody. In fact, uh, we could take verse five as a proof text for probably they weren't heal, healing everybody there because Jesus gave them instructions to, for what to do if they don't even receive your message. Well, if they're not even receiving your message, then you're not healing everybody in that town anyways. So they wouldn't heal everybody. Would everybody that they healed here still eventually die? Yes, right? Anybody been sick? Anybody been sick and you got better? Still going to die? <laughs> I mean, we're not looking forward to it. It's not only your to-do list for today, but do you assume that it's still going to be something that happens it's appointed unto man once to die. One man sinned and death entered to the world. So death passes upon all men because all have sinned. Romans chapter five, verse 12 or so te- teaches us that very principle. So they wouldn't heal everybody. Everybody they did heal would still eventually die. So the most important thing here in this mission trip Jesus sends them on is not the healing. It is the message confirmed by the healing. Now let's bring this into the modern church. We test a person's ministry by the truths of the Bible. Now we have it fully. They did not then have it fully. In fact, at best they had the old covenant and they weren't all toting around a leather bound printed copy of it or even an electronic device that could just pull it up in any language at any time. Right? So the copies that they had even of the old covenant books would have been sparse and they would have been at, at particular places, not where these guys were going. So the healing was important for the confirmation of the message. In the modern church, you didn't come over here this morning and say, now I'm going to take that guy's sermon. As long as he uses the Bible, I'm going to trust him. But first I hope that he'll heal a blind man so that I can be sure that he's truly given me a message from God. We don't need that because you have the word. You can use the brain that God put into your skull to allow you to be able to think. And for yourself, you can decipher, is he giving me the truths of the word of God or isn't he? Amen. So we Amen. have this test. Let me give you some proof text for that. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. John writes, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know we the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you, you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Now, let's be clear here, because he's talking about two different spirits, and if you didn't look along with me in your Bibles, which I didn't give you a lot of time to get there, you didn't see capital S spirit lowered, lowercase. Spirit, so capital S spirit is that spirit of God. We call him who? Holy Spirit. What is the spirit that's in you? Holy Spirit. Lowercase s is that antichrist spirit that he is talking about here. Now, understand what we're dealing with here. This is not a sermon to you about end times. This is not a movie about the antichrist and this imagery that humans have come up with on this person in the end times during the tribulation This is the spirit of Antichrist that was evident in Paul's day, evident in John's day. It's evident in our day. It's not one. It is one spirit, but it's multiplied and there are many Antichrists among us. Little s spirits running around. What is Paul instructing the church here? You've got to be able to judge the spirits. Is this the Holy Spirit or is this a demon? Simply put. So. He says in verse 4, 1 John 4, 4. Basically, he will hold you fast. You are of God, little children, and you can overcome them, these evil spirits, because greater is the biggest spirit, Holy Spirit that's inside of you than the spirits of this world. The demons, the world, the flesh, all of the things toward unrighteousness. Verse 5, then he says, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So miracles alone are not proof. They were important in this context to confirm the message of the apostles as they went out. It was great love of God to heal the sick. If you had a, If you had a a person deathly sick in your house, if you had a person blind and no sight in your house and these apostles come around preaching about the kingdom of God is at hand and your blind loved one could now see, wouldn't you feel loved? Wouldn't you feel cared for? What a blessing thing this would be. But that was not the end all. The end all was this message, repent you for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because soon... God with us will die for us, but he won't stay dead. He'll rise again to, so that we can be together with him. Now that's better. Fanny Crosby, who lived all of her life blind, never received her sight back, wrote very, very many hymns that we have in our book and we sing often, said, I'd rather be, I'd rather have, be blind than have sight and no vision. That's what she said and she said what a great thing it's going to be that the next thing my eyes see is Jesus face so yes healing is a great thing but if we're not careful we'll make it the only thing the word the word is the main thing miracles alone are not proof Matthew 24:24 24, 24 says for there shall arise false christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. What does that mean? It means there's always going to be a counterfeit. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. How do we picture Satan? Horns, pitchfork, where do we get the pitchfork from? Bugs Bunny? Is that where we got that theology from? And he has this tail with a point on it? But scripture is clear. Satan is not that. In fact, I think Corinthians, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and saying, and I'm not making a profession of myself here, but I'm just making a point. Saying, actually, if Satan were to be in your in your world, Baptist. Christians, with your Bibles open on church on a Sunday morning, it might look like this. It might look like a preacher. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. What does that term mean? A minister of righteousness. One who serves righteousness Well, who is righteousness, God, the ministers of God, these who bring these truths to us. So he says no great thing if Satan and his demons are transformed as the ministers of righteousness. We have this idea that they're busy down at the honky tonk and we're safe over here at the church. Devil already has those down at the honky tonk. He's picking off those at the church. Whose end shall be according to their works. And that plays back into he shall hold me fast. We know what the end will be. But in the in-between time, we need to be wise. We need to be sharp. We need to be ever on the ready. Because Satan can enable his demons to do amazing things just as these apostles were doing here. You read the book of Acts and you find instances of this where those who are working... They, they didn't even know they were working for Satan. They just knew they were working for their own personal profit, And they were doing these satanic things, but they began to try to mimic the apostles because they drew bigger crowds. That's prescriptive of the modern church, I guess. So here in Luke 9, this was a calling to minister to people's material and spiritual needs both. Jesus had... This is a quote from Grant Osborne. He says, Jesus had just demonstrated a greater power than anyone had ever shown in all of history. And he is passing it on to his disciples. But we, too, are called to this ministry. We're called to a ministry of word and works. In the modern church, we care for the sick. We feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We visit the prisoners. We welcome the strangers. We show hospitality to the homeless. This is what Jesus did then, and the church does now, this is how God cares for us physically and spiritually. But I think we're real comfortable there and not back where I just came from. We like that last part. You know, we, were no, we weren't sure where the preacher was going this morning. Demons, the devil, real magic, fake magic, real healing, fake healing. What in the world's going on here? Well, that's what I want to address. Yes, Jesus sent his. Apostles out on this short term mission trip to preach the kingdom. But he also gave them power and he gave them authority and said, heal their sick. Let's not demean what Jesus is saying here. Brother Homer did a good job with this in Sunday school. He doesn't send them to form relationships, but to preach the kingdom. Now, my personal form of evangelism is relational evangelism. I'll get to know you. I'll let you get to know me. I build up a relationship of trust. And then I introduce you to Jesus Christ who changed my life forever. That's not what's going on here. He says, go town to town, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. If they will not have you, wipe the dust from their town off your shoes before you go to the next town. He doesn't send them to form relationships, but to proclaim, to herald his kingdom. He doesn't send them there to care for the sick. He sends them there to heal the sick. He doesn't say go establish hospitals. He says go put the hospitals out of business. If we're not careful there, we'll demean what Jesus is saying. And that becomes our practice in the modern church. Now before you call me charismatic, and you call me Chance Strickland hen. Be sure of everything else I just said to you. We just dealt with what it looks like in the modern world. The church doesn't need healing to confirm our message. We have God's word, and that is confirmation enough. But according to God's word, the church should be seeing healing. Or whatever else you want to throw in there. I'm just using that because it's in the text this morning. But often, we've got the word, but we have no power. That turns into works, and works are good, and I'm not anti-works, but how much better could they be when they were empowered? Can you imagine, ladies, if you went to vacuum your floors today, and you didn't know you could plug that thing in, just running this machine? Y'all remember those vacuums they used to have, the manual ones? You just back and forth, well, funeral homes had them still for some reason. You go back and forth, back and forth, the brush turns and it picks up some things, Man, aren't you glad you can just pull a cord out and that thing not only powerfully turns the brush, but also has a vacuum sucking. Bring that right up in there. Nothing more refreshing than vacuuming up dust off the floor with the power. There's a stark contrast in what Jesus, the apostles, and the early church did And what the current church is now doing. What happened to doing? And for some of you, you need this reminder. For some of you, this is going to not be a reminder that you need. But like in an active young house where children are being born and children are being raised and children are going out and starting their own families, there is utter chaos. Can I get a witness? Y'all didn't want to admit to that because you were thinking, well, not in our Beaver Cleaver home. Me and Ward, we go down to the country club and we have our steaks. And Wally and the bee, they hang around the house and they sit on their hands till we get back and they never do anything wrong. Is this your house? Is this what you have going on here? No. Oh, there's markers on the wall. There's basketball indoors when they're supposed to be outdoors. There's animals randomly running through the house. The car- What's happening there? It's life. It's living. New birth. Growing up. Going out, replicating. This isn't happening so much in the modern church anymore. In fact, you start talking about replicating in the modern church and people get afraid that it's it's just going to divide our little old church. I just love our church just like it is. If we go plant another church, that's what replicating looks like in the church, by the way. So we have this many people and we divide that up and we think this is a good model for the church according to the scriptures. So, we don't meet together anymore, and some of us go somewhere else, and we try to do this there for that community like we've done it here for this community. We don't want that. We just want to build a bigger building and get it bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what happens as you get bigger and bigger and bigger? The power goes to everything but what the church is called to do. It gets more expensive. You need more staff. You don't know everybody. I think that one of the reasons many of you are here is because we're still just small enough you can meet and greet and get to know everybody. You can be up in each other's business. If you're not here for that, we might not be the place for you because we're not only up in your business, we're going to put it on faith life. (laughs) Please pray for Brother So-and-so. He's having this done to his body today. Oh, I didn't want everybody to know that. Well, we're praying for you. stark contrast from the new testament church to generally speaking the modern american church oh we like to care for the sick we like to feed the hungry we like to clothe the naked we like to visit the prisoners we like to welcome strangers we like to show hospitality to the homeless so long as we have enough time and so long as we have enough money and let's just be clear there we'll only do those things as long as we have enough money and it doesn't affect the other things you know The youth fund and the flower fund and all the other funds that we have in the church. Where do we need power for that? Where do we need authority for that? You see, we've begun to operate inside of a model that is very comfortable for us as humans, but is not very practical for the kingdom of God. We've got this model that doesn't require any power. It doesn't require any authority. In fact, we're a little afraid of the power and the authority and what it might actually do to our model. These guys were called to do more, and it was with a purpose. Now, I'll be honest. This kind of preaching is outside of my norm. I'm not not charismatic. But so often what will happen in a church like ours, when we get on something just a little bit odd to us, I'll sure us all up with this really old quote from a a dead theologian like a guy named John Calvin. So studying this this week, and I said, surely Calvin will save me from this charismatic type ministry. And I can go back to being a stiff necked, comfortable, powerless, non-authoritative Christian. The word is my authority and that's it. And so I'm reading Calvin and this is what he says. By those miracles, he shows us why he was sent by the father and what was the design of his gospel. It is not without design that he enjoys them, enjoins them to raise the dead and heal the sick instead of bringing diseases on the healthy and inflicting death on the living. There is an analogy and resemblance. Therefore, which those miracles bear to the office of Christ And this is intended to inform us that he came to bestow upon us every blessing to rescue us from the tyranny of Satan and of death, to heal our diseases and sins and to relieve us from all our miseries. This was their mission and Jesus enabled them to be able to perform it. But all of a sudden in the modern church, you see how Calvin didn't let us off the hook there. All of you reformers in here now are going to have to go home and get your institutes out and read them. And if you don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about the institutes, just live in that bliss. It's good. But we get this idea here that Jesus died to heal us of our sins. And it's okay if that doesn't include our disease. Jesus died to heal our sins and it's okay if that doesn't relieve our miseries. But even as far over in James chapter 5. It's pretty common practice in the church then. Shamefully it is not now. If you have sick in your church. The obedient thing to do is to come to the elders of the church. And be anointed with oil and pray for their healing. I've been on you for about a year now in this regard. But the, the one change that I've for sure seen is we finally stopped just saying unspoken, 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 unspoken prayer requests to at least now we'll say, well, here's my prayer request. Please put it on the list. I'm proud of you in that regard. But I'd rather us be a people of power and authority who said we have this diagnosis. And I may die from this diagnosis to the glory of God. Job, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not saying that the only time we ever see faith is when there is healing. What I'm saying is with the healing, without the healing, Christians should still be exercising and showing to the glory of God their faith. So I may die from this diagnosis and so be it. But I'm still going to do what the Bible said, which is come up and let my church lay hands on me and pray for me so that I might be healed. So Jesus gave them power. He gave them authority to complete this mission. First 1. He called his twelve together. He gave them power and authority. Wearsby says, but, but before he sent them out, he gave them the equipment needed to get the job done, as well as the instructions to follow. Power is the ability to accomplish a task. Authority is the right to do it. And Jesus gave his disciples both. Now, let's break down these two words. Power, authority. Power in the English is in the Greek, the word Dunamis. It carries a sense of possession, of controlling influence. What's the controlling influence for you right now? Power. This word dunamis is this sense of possession, of controlling influence. Why are we consumed with time? Because we have somewhere else we have to be. Is that how it was in the early church? Now, they'd worked hard. Once they got to where they weren't meeting daily, they'd begin to meet on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection. They had worked hard apart from each other all week. They couldn't wait to get together in the early church and be around each other because these might be the only other people they saw all week who were also happy that they'd been saved from the power of sin and could celebrate a resurrected Lord. We're possessed by other controlling influences. This word is often understood as manifesting influence over reality. In a supernatural manner. We do not want that. Dunamis. When you use that word in the Greek. Meant there was something. Happening that manifested itself. Outside of your reality. In a supernatural manner. Now in the devil's end of things. Humans seem to love that. Let's get high. Let's get drunk. But in the spiritual sense of things. Boy we don't like that. And it's laid out for us clearly. Don't be getting drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what should a spirit-filled life look like? What did it look like for the apostles? They said, these guys are drunk on new wine. We should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We should be being supernaturally controlled by Him. This word means the potentiality to exert force in performing some function. Can you think of a function that we should be exhorting this kind of force in, performing it? Yes. Proclaiming the word. Scripture illustrates for us what this looks like in other areas. Matthew 6.13, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, When you pray, pray like this. And he ended the prayer by saying this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from for thine is the kingdom and the power there's that word again and the glory forever amen some of you probably say that every single day of your life what is Jesus telling you to pray there I trust the power of the Holy Spirit to keep me away from temptation and deliver me from evil well why can't I why can't I ever win my battles of temptation because you're not trusting the power of the Holy Spirit you're trusting the power of your own mind Matthew 24 30 and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Here's that word dunamis again. Same kind of power. What's its first power over temptation? Now it's power for the return of Christ. Then in first Peter 1 5. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation revealed in the last time. It is power to keep us. This is why we can sing, he will hold me fast. Why are we sure of this? Because the Holy Spirit is God's earnest inside of us, keeping us until the day of our redemption. Then we have the word authority. In the Greek, the word authority is exousia. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. It means ruling authority authority over a domain or a sphere of influence as jesus gave his apostles here power and authority he has given the church this same authority acts chapter one uh, verse number eight talks about we're going to receive this power when the holy spirit comes and we'll have authority to be his witnesses so just as we have that power we have this same authority over what domain over what sphere of influence Well, probably everywhere you go isn't that how it worked for abraham Lord, what land is my land? Well, he said, look north. That's your land. All right, that's good. Oh, well, I'm not done yet. Look west. That's all. Oh, that's a lot more. Oh, was it finished, Abraham. Stop interrupting me. Look south and look east. And everywhere your foot trods, that's going to be your land. What is the sphere of influence for God's citizens of his kingdom? Where well, it's everywhere that there is God's kingdom. Well, where is there God's kingdom? Everywhere that there are hearts receptive to the gospel. Boy, we're aggressive in that one. Because everywhere there are not hearts receptive to the gospel, we say, sign somebody up, fund them, and send them there because we want to make sure there's hearts over there receptive to the gospel too. Well, that's our sphere of influence. That's the realm in which we have this authority, this right to control, this right to govern over. Church has no more authority. We've lost it. My preacher used to talk about when... But he said he could remember as a little boy, you couldn't get a loan at the bank without your church letter. Point being, even in the 1900s, the church had even that much authority. You imagine now you go down to the bank and he says, how much do you make? How much do you have? What are you trying to borrow? What's the asset up up against what you're trying to borrow? And you say, oh, don't worry about any of that, buddy. Oh, no, why not? I got my church letter with me today. you talk about somebody getting filled with a the spirit. <laughs> they fill you with something. We don't have authority anymore. We've lost our authority. We have the right to govern. We have the right to control. But we've given up that right. Did I tell you all about the Jehovah's Witnesses on ESPN? Did we already talk about this? I was getting my hair cut and they had ESPN going there in the barbershop. And this guy was on there, he's a loudmouth. mouth, might have should have been a preacher, but he's on ESPN now talking, and he's apologizing for something he said about vaccines, and I think what he had said was, anybody who won't get a vaccine is just an idiot. Well, then the Jehovah's Witness reached out to him and said, well, we don't, our, our religion does not allow us to take vaccines, and you've offended us all, and he was apologizing to the Jehovah's Witnesses for offending them. When's the last time you heard somebody on any news channel apologizing to Christians for anything? Oh, they're not. They, wouldn't, they don't see any need to. Why? Because we're big pushovers. Because we're not Holy Spirit led, so we don't operate in authority. And without that authority, we are losing. We've lost our impact in this world. Jesus gave his disciples here power and authority. R.C. Sproul said the power he gave them was Explosive. Awesome and mighty. Is that what is that does that define the modern church? Explosive, awesome, mighty? Not really. It was the same power that Jesus used to heal people and perform miraculous feasts. He gave that power to his apostles. So what we find here is Jesus multiplying his ministry. The mission is not for Jesus to take the gospel to the world himself, he would use his followers to fulfill this part of redemption's plan. These sent would reach more people in more places than he could alone. And this is still now in today's world, how Jesus multiplies his kingdom. The ministry of Jesus, the ministry of his apostles is extended through the local church and then the universal church, the visible church and then the invisible church. Today, Jesus does his work in the world through ordinary people. Together, we're called to share this good news Of God's kingdom. Phil Riken reminds here. This is our first calling. And this is our fundamental calling. So that was their mission. And then we see their method. In verse 3, 4, and 5. And the rest of this goes kind of fast. Verse 3. They were told to travel light. Verse 4. They were to travel with urgency. Verse 5. They were to publicly testify. Against anyone who refused their message. Notice this in verse 3, travel light. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither stage, nor scripts, nor bread, nor neither money, neither have two coats apiece. You can get into exactly what, what this looks like logistically, but I don't think that's the point. I think the point is, as you go, go with a full dependence on God. Their goal here is to proclaim the kingdom on this trip rather than enjoy the journey you're about to go on, which included them being dependent upon the people to whom they would minister, calvin said here that they may be better prepared for the journey he orders them to leave everything that would be burdensome so travel light verse four travel with urgency and whatsoever house you enter into there abide and thence depart so uh, i I did not quite understand the cultural meaning for this in their day so i'm going to quote to you from phil Riken. he says in those days the conventions of hospitality did not allow long visits i like that everybody good there People were careful not to overstay their welcome. So when Jesus told his disciples to leave from the same place they arrived, he was telling them that after a few days they should move on to another town. So it's not like I go over to Daryl's house and I stay till I've worn out my welcome there. And in the same town, I go to somebody else's house till I've worn out my welcome there. No, you should be able to preach the gospel message confirmed by healing of their sick in that town until that guy doesn't want you to be there anymore. And then that means it's time to move on to the next town. And then verse... Five. Well, let me say one more thing on verse four. Travel with urgency. I think this also serves as a reminder of how little we actually need to do the work of ministry. And there are no cameras and computers and stuff running a live stream back there, but we're still having church. We're not in our particular building, but we're still having church. Jesus told them, here: Don't take any money, don't take any scribe, don't take any bread, don't take two coats. Go and stay until you've worn out your hospitality there and then go on to the next town. We need that sort of urgency as we exercise the power and the authority given to the modern church. Verse five is a very, um, it's a very damning verse. It says, Whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the dust from your feet for a testimony against them. So this is a public display. They would sweep the dust off their feet from cities who refused the gospel. This was a Jewish tradition. R.C. Sproul says strict Jews removed from removed defiling dust from their feet when they returned from Gentile lands. The disciples action symbolized that those who rejected the preachers did not belong to God's people. There again, the church has lost its authority in our gospel witness. When's the last time you've seen somebody out publicly evangelizing, witnessing, and when somebody refused them, they sweep the dust from, their, from that person off of their feet. Oh, well, we wouldn't want to hurt their feelings. Calvin says, No crime is more offensive to God than the contempt of his word. For he does not enjoin them to make use of so solemn a mode. Listen to this. And expressing their detestation of adulterers, murderers, or any description of malefactors. He said, those who refuse the preaching of the kingdom, wipe the dust, wash your feet before you go somewhere else. They're not told to do that for murderers. They're not told to do that for adulterers. They're not told to do that for anybody else. So nothing is more of offense to God than those who would hold his word in contempt. And then we see their ministry in verse 6 down to verse number 10. And I'll I'll point out that this is only a small record of the entire body of work done by these apostles. But still, it's an instance where we're able to grasp the work and the impact of apostolic ministry. Verse 6, they went. That's important. We've actually got to go and do, right? They departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 7 through 9, this created a stir. Notice the stir here. Herod the Tetrarch. A descendant of the Herod who had had the babies killed to try to stomp Jesus out when he was born. Right? This is one of his descendants now in power. Heard of all that was done by him, Jesus. And he was perplexed because it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. What had Herod the Tetrarch had done to John? He had his head cut off. And of some, Elias had appeared. And of others, that one of the old prophets was risen again. What did the old prophets do to all of the, ruling, the rulers in Israel during their day who were not godly? They tormented them. Herod says here, I cut off John the Baptist's head. I don't want to have to deal with these Old Testament prophets. Verse 9, he says, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. That was a change. But it was as if all of a sudden Jesus was everywhere. Kind of like saying at Christmas time. He's not just at the North Pole, he's out at the department store, he's out on the street corner ringing a bell. He's everywhere you go. And Herod says this of Jesus. He says, We, we stomped out John, we finally put it the into these Old Testament prophets. But now there's this guy healing and teaching these messages that are different, and he seems like he is. Everywhere. Where, how was that? Was Jesus everywhere? No. He'd send his people out to the north, the south, the east, and the west. They were in this town, that town, every other town. Often the modern church doesn't receive that kind of attention unless we've got a failure. You let the preacher cheat on his wife. You let someone on the staff of church steal some money and it'll make the news. But you let a church anoint a person with cancer, with oil, Pray that God would heal them of this. And the doctors say, we don't know where the cancer's gone. Not only does it make the news, but 90% of the church is skeptical. The church is skeptical. I don't know. I've seen that happen and it didn't work. The point is not whether it works or not. The point is the Bible says do it. So what are we supposed to do what the Bible says? Obey it. They went, they created a stir, and then they returned to rest, verse 10. The apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done and took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Vance Habner was famous in saying, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll just come apart. That's the truth. These guys had done merch work prior, but still Jesus and these he sent tried to get away and rest. And we're going to read next week that they weren't able to rest at all. They they go off to this desert place and the crowd follows them and that's the feeding of the 5,000, 5, right? Church, we've got God's power to do God's work and it's the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. What are they told in Acts 1 they give power for? To be His witnesses. Where? Everywhere. I, I'm really not into starting a healing ministry in our church. I think physical healing and praying for physical healing should be a big part of the ministry of every local church. Here's what I'm into, and why I'm using that as my illustrative point this morning of the lack of power in the church is that our gospel witness be powerful. Why are people not being saved like they used to be saved? Why are lives not being transformed like they used to be transformed? It's because we don't go in the authority and the power that God has given to us to do this work. Just like those sent here in the text, We must be willing to go. We must be willing to travel light. We must be willing to travel with urgency. We must be divided from those who would refuse the gospel. There's one of the biggest areas we're not willing to give up in the modern Christian life. We're to be divided from those who refuse the gospel. You don't like that one because if I'm not their friend, they'll never get saved. It could be that being friends with a Christian is what's keeping them from being saved. Why do I need to change if I've already got that? I'd ask you this morning, would you ask God to work powerfully through you? Are you willing to take your eyes off of worldly, temporal things and serve God in His power? That's going to cost you. But being used powerfully pays dividends far greater than anything temporal and worldly could ever give you. The church has power and the church has authority. We know this, but we're not doing it. So we've got to go and be doers. We've read the recipes. We've got to go cook. We've laid the X's and O's out on the board. Now we've got to go play the game. It's time for the church to get to work. And not just by the sweat of our brow. But in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and pray.